Hey, City Light Church, one of our commitments is to multiplication. Uh, Since we set out, our vision has been to multiply disciples of Jesus, which means um, we want to help people encounter Jesus, follow Jesus, and actually teach other people how to walk with Jesus. And so we multiply disciples. Additionally, our vision from the get-go has not been to build an empire and to build a giant mega church, but really to multiply. We're not anti-big, but we're pro-multiplication. Chris and I, when we set out to plant this, our dream was not, hey, what if we had a great legacy and wrote a book and built a building and the whole thing, but what if our city and region was littered with faithful Bible preachers, faithful disciple makers, and dozens more gospel-proclaiming churches. And uh, by God's grace, uh, God is already doing a great multiplying work. And so last this last year, we got to see City Light Benson take off. This next year, we're praying into Council Bluffs, and uh, that new um, uh, church, is that what they're called? Churches, thank you. Turkey. I'm still still working its way out of my system. Uh, but we want to multiply churches. Here's what we found. Guess what churches take? People in leadership. It's amazing. They don't just lead themselves. And so um, on every level, we're trying to train up and develop new and young leaders and old leaders. We love old leaders too. I don't know why I'm looking at you, Bob. Um, <laughs> uh, I just saw some gray hair there. Um, but we want to we wanna multiply. And so one of the things we just take very seriously is an internship program. We've always got Uh, Four to six interns in the office. Kent McCrimmon is one of them. He raises his own salary, mops our floors every week, um, does all of Chris's laundry. It is amazing. (laughs) This is a a humble man, humble servant of God. He's also a seminarian. He is uh, working on his master's degree at Reformed Theological Seminary. He's a great student of the Bible. He did his undergrad work in Doan and physics, so he's a lot smarter than me uh, and Chris as well. And... uh, (laughs) I was going to say smartest one on staff, but I think Butenbach might have you, at least for a little while. Um, but we're so, we're so glad to have Kent actually open the Word of God and teach us this morning. So this is the second time in the pulpit. We thought, let's give him a text with justification, glorification, uh, predestination, and the Holy Spirit groaning. We thought, that's a real softball. He's going he's gonna to make that real simple and clear. But Kent, we're so looking forward to hearing from the Word of God uh, from you. Thank you for teaching us. And so please thank Kent for uh, teaching the Word of God this morning. Thank you. Thanks, Gavin. Thank you. Uh, so I have, yeah, I have a bunch of notes up here that uh, I was thinking about going through, but I think Jack knocked the ball out of the park. You know, how do you follow that up? He's got four letters, easy to remember. Uh, I have three points that might be difficult to remember, so I don't even know if it's worth it. But uh, just for time's sake, I know you guys came here and wanted to spend at least an hour here. We'll, uh, we'll jump in anyways, just for, just for fun. So as Gavin said, my name is Kent, and I am thankful and grateful to be up here this morning. It's a privilege for me to be able to share with you guys. I am thankful to be a part of a church that celebrates young leaders, that, that makes space for us to develop our, our gifts and talents. And so, so thank you guys, and thank you to the pastors for, for trusting me enough to let me up here to, to teach this morning. And as Gavin said earlier, we are beginning the Advent season today. It's the, the season of the year where we spend four weeks talking about what it means for, for all of humanity, for all of creation, that Jesus is coming. So four things that are, that are tied and bound up with the coming of Jesus. And those four things are hope, joy, peace, and love. And this morning, we are going to be talking about hope. We'll be talking about hope. And so I know when we hear that, I think a lot of us have a lot of different ideas of what hope is. We have maybe our own definitions. And so to get us all on the same page, I want to give us a a working definition of what hope is. And so I'll just define hope like this simply for us, that hope 
is an anticipation or expectation for the future. So if you, want, if you have your notes, write this down. Hope is an anticipation or expectation for the future. Now, that, that future part of it is really important because our hope is always geared towards the future. It's geared towards something that is not here yet. We don't hope for things that we always have, already have. I don't hope that I have a, a polka-dotted red shirt because I already have one. It's here. And so we always are oriented forward with our hope. And the, the thing about that is it, it shapes our life. That, that hope is what, what motivates us. It's what gets us out of bed in the morning. Some of you woke up this morning and were hoping to get a cream-filled donut. So you got here earlier, you went to the back, you got one, and were really disappointed that it was jelly-filled. Very disappointing. Some of you woke up on Friday morning hoping that the Huskers would be Iowa. And unfortunately, they couldn't quite get the job done. And so you were, you were disappointed. But uh, yeah, so hope motivates us and, and it shapes our life. And it's when we lose hope that we, we lose life. That's when we, we start to feel depressed. That's when it, we have trouble getting out of bed in the morning because we don't have hope. There's nothing that is, that is getting us going in the morning. There's no, no hope for circumstances to change or to get something accomplished at work. We, we simply lie around in, in wait. And frankly, we hope in a lot of different things. We all have hopes and dreams for this life, things that we hope to accomplish or things that we'll hope will come true during our lifetime. But all too often, we place our hope in the wrong things. We have these false hopes, we have these expectations, and when they don't get met, we're incredibly disappointed. So I just want to share one way with you guys that I have had a false hope. And so when I was younger, when I was in high school, I loved sports. I still do. I've, I feel like I've recovered a little bit. I'm not so emotionally involved with them now. But I was a, a big college basketball fan, uh, loved Wake Forest. No idea why. I think I just randomly chose them. And so one year, they were really good. Uh, point guard Chris Paul, incredibly talented. And the experts were saying, you know, this could be their year. This could be their year. And so anticipation and excitement was building up. I'm like, man. This is it. This is what I've been waiting for my whole life. If, if Wake Forest would win March Madness, you know, that's, that's the glorious future that I'm waiting for. Then I'll have made it. I can finally be truly happy. So I was so excited to watch the games. They cruised through their first round. And I was watching the second round game with my cousin and my grandparents. And, I, you know, my excitement turned to anxiety when halftime, it was a, it was a close game. And anxiety turned into hopeless despair when the minutes were winding down and they were losing. And my, I'll never forget it. My cousin looked at me. He's like, Kent, are you going to cry if they lose? I was like, probably. He's like, well, I really hope they win. Unfortunately, they didn't win. They lost. And I was devastated. I cried and cried. I laid on the ground. I thought my life was over. And I'm sure my grandparents and my cousin are thinking, are you kidding me? This is a basketball team. You know nobody that plays for the team. You've never even been to the school. You literally have no connection with them. Why are you so worked up about this? I had my hope in this basketball team, and I was completely disappointed. Now, I wish I could say that, that placing false hopes, uh, hoping in things that do not come through, was something that I only did when I was in high school, that I figured it out now, and I always hope in the right things, but, it, but it's not. It's not, that's not true because I still have false hopes and I still look to the wrong things to, to give me the things that only God can. And I've had relationships that I've placed my hope in. And I thought that that would be the thing that would secure my future. That was the thing to, to build my life around. And I was devastated when, when it came to an end. I've put my, my hope in my own knowledge and understanding and being able to learn facts but the unfortunate thing is, is you can't learn what the future holds for you. And so those things that I have couldn't quite secure the future that I wanted. 
Now, I think at Christmas time, we, we really relate to this idea of hope and expectation. And I want you guys to think about what are the things that you've placed your hope in? And maybe what are some of the false hopes that you've had? What are some of the false hopes that you've had? As Christmas comes closer, I think we, we kind of, we grow in excitement and anticipation and we're hoping for what's to come. But at the same time, we have reservations about it. Because maybe it's at Christmas time when the family drama or the family conflict seems to be the worst. You get closer and you get a little bit more anxious for what might happen at Christmas time. Or you're really looking forward to Christmas and you, you really want to give your kids the Christmas that they're, they're dreaming of. But as you look at your bank account, as you're looking at the numbers, you just don't quite see how that's going to be possible. You don't see how it's going to be possible. And these aren't, aren't bad things to hope for by any means. But I think we can all agree that a lot of the things we hope for are very flimsy. There's really no certainty. There's no guarantee. There's no assurance that these things are, are going to come through for us. And so I think this leads us to ask, you know, is there a sure hope? Is there a, a confident thing that I can place my hope in? that is going to come through, that will shape my life and give me direction, give me a reason to get out of bed in the morning. And City Light, I think we need to reorient our hope towards the hope of the Bible. Because the good news is, is that there is a secure hope. There's a hope that will get us through all circumstances, and that is Jesus, that for what he has done, hope in what he has done, and hope in what he has promised he will do for us. And so today we're going to be in Romans chapter 8. And so if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and, and turn there now. If you don't, you can follow along on the screen. We're going to look at a passage where, where, where Paul is going to lay out the hope of God for us. And we're going to look at it in, in three, three points today. First, that, that the whole world, everything in creation is waiting for the coming glory of God. That the whole world hopes for the coming glory of God. Second, that we as individuals hope for the same coming glory of God. And finally, we'll talk about how God assures us in the present as we wait for future glory. So in this passage, Paul is writing to a church that was under persecution. So this was a church in desperate need of hope, especially because they were in some severe suffering. In verse 18, Paul kind of lays out his whole focus for, for this passage, he says, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. City Light, this is the hope that we are looking for, and it's the hope of future glory. It's a confident anticipation of what is yet to come. And it gives us hope even in the present suffering. And we're going to begin digging into our text, starting in verse 19. So go ahead and follow along with me. We'll start point number one, the whole world hopes for the coming glory of God. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. The whole world hopes for the coming glory of God. 
Now, I don't think I have to convince you guys that the world that we're in currently is experiencing a lot of pain. If you watch the news, you can see worldwide that there are, are civil wars, there are natural disasters, there is, is terrorism in our world. And we see the world is in a lot of pain. And what's more than that is if we look at our history books, we see that this isn't something that's new. It's not something that has just developed, but these things have been happening for quite some time now. The world has been hurting for a very long time. And this is what Paul is pointing us to in verse 21. In verse 21, when he talks about this creation being in bondage to corruption. We have a world that seems to be stuck. It's stuck in this place of pain and hurting. It's, in, it's enslaved. It's in chains. And I think it's fitting for us to talk about this, having just finished some time in Genesis. I think our temptation is to think that the world is a place to be escaped and not a place to invest into. As we look through Genesis, the, the pattern of creation, even before God made humans, is that he would make something, he would look at it and say, it is good. God declared creation to be good even before he, he made human beings. And so we see that, that creation, the whole world, is the work of God's hands. It's the work of his hands. And at that point in time, before sin entered the world, creation was, was free it was not broken, and it could experience the fullness of God's glory. It could experience the fullness of God's glory. And creation is, is longing to be like that again. Like he, Paul is saying in verse 21, that creation is longing to be free. It's longing to be set free and to obtain this, this freedom that comes with the glory of the children of God. And as a matter of fact, this is something that creation is, is excited for. So it's not, it's not a, a depressing thing, and it's really sad where, where creation is at. But creation is excited for this change that is coming. And Paul uses this illustration of, of pregnancy. So this idea that, that the whole creation, the whole world, is, is pregnant with, with hope and anticipation for what is yet to come. It's the same excitement that we feel when new life is on the way. If you have a brother or sister who's pregnant, you get really excited for, for the new niece or nephew that's on the way or the, the, the younger brother or sister that might be on the way for you. We get so excited for that. And when, they, when they're finally here, that's when we take thousands and thousands of selfies and we put them all over Facebook. You always know when somebody just got a new nephew because it'll be all over your news feed. They're so exciting and beautiful. And this is the same way that creation feels as it hopes and looks forward for the coming glory of God. Even though it does come with pain, there is, there is hope in this transforming power of God. Now, City Light, I want us to think about how this, this changes the way that we might view our world. I think we talk a lot about personal application and what it means for our own individual lives, but I want us to look at, at the bigger picture and look at the whole world and how we interpret it. So Tim Keller, a pastor, said, said this. He said, Christians cannot be optimists, for we know the reality of sin, nor can we be pessimists, for we know the living God. We cannot be optimists, for we know the reality of sin, but we cannot be pessimists, because we know the living God. And I want to press this in on how we view our world, because we cannot have our hope in progress. We can't be optimists for the way things are going, and think that little by little, if we just work harder, do better, that eventually things are going to be okay, that eventually we'll live in a perfect world. It's just not going to work like that. We have to understand the reality that there's still suffering in our world. 
we have to understand that things like racism are still present, not only in our world, but in our very own society, that it's deeply embedded even into our culture. We have to understand that even the systems in our world are broken, that there is not an equal opportunity for everyone when it comes to jobs, uh, to being employed for education and advancement, that the system may work well for some people, but there are others who work hard, who earnestly work hard, but never quite seem to make it. So we have to understand that these systems are broken because too often we put our hope in, in new government programs and maybe a new politician or maybe new technology to, to fix our world. But scripture would say that hope is a new creation at the coming glory of God. Likewise, we, we can't be pessimists either. So we can't see the realities and say, well, it's too far gone. There's nothing that we can do. You know, let's just hide in a corner and wait. No, because the hope of new creation shows us that God is doing something. We have to know that God is working in the present. This is the reason that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. He said, pray for God's kingdom to come and for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. That, that God's heavenly reality would become true on earth even now, that we begin to see glimpses of this future glory that is coming. Because our, our city is groaning in hope, waiting for the coming glory of God. The neighborhoods in our city feel the same way and are hoping for the coming glory of God. Walnut Hill, the neighborhood just outside these walls, is in pain, hoping and waiting for the coming glory of God. City Light, I want you to ask yourself a question. What, when you look around our city or if you look around at our world, what are the things that you see that, that maybe, maybe just tug at your heart and make you grieve a little bit, that make you see that the whole creation is hoping for the coming glory of God, that the whole creation is hoping for Jesus to return? Maybe, maybe you see the way that we view our environment and, that, and that, that grabs your heart, it grabs your attention. Maybe it's the poverty in our city, or maybe it's the broken families that exist in our city. And you see that, and that's evidence that the creation is groaning and hoping for Jesus to return. And I want to ask another question as well. As you see those things, how might you begin to share hope into those circumstances? How might you be a part of righting the injustices that exist in our world. City Light, I want us to see that the hope of Christianity is greater than, than just us as individuals. It applies to all of creation. So, so point number one is that the whole world hopes for the coming glory of God. Moving on to point number two, that like creation, we as individuals, as people, hope for the coming glory of God. Let's continue reading uh, verse 23 in Romans 8. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we await eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. We as individuals hope for the coming glory of God. 
And Paul, Paul says in verse 23 that we are, we're, we're groaning for this. It's, a, it's an anticipation of, of our adoption as children of God and also for the redemption of our bodies. I think it's easy for us to, to relate to this, to, to understand that there are places in our lives where we're just, we're unhappy. We're discontent. We want things to, to change, to be different. City Light, I want you to think about in your own life, where are the places that you want to see God's work change the way things are? Where in your heart do you need God to work to make you new? Maybe it's after a long and trying day at work, you feel this as you, as you come home and you let out a long sigh, waiting, hoping for things to be different. Or maybe your, your efforts to change your circumstances aren't quite seeming to work. And so you're hoping that things would, would change in your life. Or maybe you're looking for a job and you, you can't find one. You, you've been wanting to do this so you can support your family, but it just does not seem to be working for you. Or in spite of all your best efforts to, to apologize or reconcile with that family member, you can't quite seem to find peace with them. Maybe these are the, some of the things that you're hoping for, and maybe it is those things that brought you to church this morning. Maybe you came this morning looking to find a, a new hope. Now, if I can be, be transparent with you guys, the, the present suffering in my life is anxiety. That's where I, where I feel this groaning and hoping for change most deeply. It's an anxiety that is linked to, to trusting myself too much and trusting God far too little. That even the, the smallest things in my life, get bl- I blow them out of proportion and become huge things that cause uncertainty and unsureness in my life. And as those, those things kind of build up, my, my heart rate goes up. I feel like my, my, my chest tightens and as if there's this weight upon me. And I feel like I'm crying out to God, like, won't you change me all the way so I don't feel like this anymore? Now, I felt that this week as I got ready to go home for Thanksgiving... I went back to Colorado, and I love going home because I love getting to see my family. But there, are time, there have been times in our family when the holidays are, are not easy, that the, the conflicts, the, the past wounds that have been a part of our family, they always seem to show up around the holidays. That's when they seem to be the most present, where, where siblings are fighting and don't want to come home for the holidays. And it, it's painful and difficult. And so as I got ready to go home, I was excited but I was fearful. I just wanted things to, to be, be normal for Thanksgiving. I just wanted everybody to, to get along, nobody to make any mistakes. And so I felt like I was holding my breath because things were precariously balanced and I didn't want things to fall apart. I just thought for one day, can't we have a nice Thanksgiving? And as I reflected upon this, I thought, wow, what a small hope that is. What a small hope to think that, that what I'm placing my hope in is that my family would be normal for one day out of the year. It would be great, but what a small hope that is. And I realized that, that my hope is not in that. Rather, my hope is in Jesus because he's the one who has saved me, and he's the one who has the power to restore those broken relationships in our family. This is what Paul is talking about in verse 24. He says, we are saved This is the the good news that sinful humans can be saved. And what's more than this is, though we are saved 
in the present, Paul says that we are saved in hope, that there's this forward-looking element that says the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. This hope reorients our hearts to look forward towards the coming glory of Jesus. We've tasted the beginning, Paul says in verse 23, that we have the the first fruits of the Spirit, that we've, we've tasted the beginning of this coming glory, though it's not fully here, and so we hope for what is yet to come. And that's why in verse 25, Paul says we are to wait for this with patience. I think when we hear the word patience, there's a little bit of a misconception. We kind of think about telling kids to be patient, and when we tell them that, we expect them to go sit on the couch and kind of twiddle their thumbs until we're ready for whatever it is we're doing. And I think for us to interpret Paul like that would be to miss the point completely. Now, kids in the room, I want you to think about Christmas, which is just right around the corner. And adults, I want you to think back to when you were kids, and, and Christmas was just on the horizon, The Christmas tree is set up, the gifts are underneath, and you're excited for it. You can see the gifts that will soon be yours. You don't know exactly what they'll be, but you cannot wait to open them and see what will be there. This is how we should feel about the coming glory of God. We should be excited for it, filled with hope and anticipation for what is yet to come. We can see these gifts, the first fruits of the spirit that are in our life. They're there under the tree that we're not 100% sure what that will look like, we are waiting for it with patience. We're waiting with steadfast endurance until those gifts will be open to us and we will see Christ fully. We have a great hope that is coming. So let me review. Point number one was that the whole world hopes for the coming glory of God. And point number two is that we as individuals hope for the coming glory of God. And so on to our final point here is that God assures us in the present as we wait for future glory. God assures us right now as we wait for future glory. Read with me again in verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers." And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. God assures us in the present as we wait for future glory. Now, this piece of text is is rich with, with promises and assurance of the hope that we are waiting for. And I could spend hours unpacking this for us, but Chris told me that he's the only one who's allowed to go over time. And so we'll just look at a couple small things right here that I want to draw out for us. So one way that God assures us is in our own prayer life. Now, I want you guys to kind of think about your own prayer life. Reflect on it. What are some of the things that you pray for? What does it generally look like when you walk into prayer? What's your your attitude or your motivation to call out to God? When I ask myself these questions... 
That's when I realized that I am truly weak and in need of God's help. Because quite often I don't know what to pray for. I get started with maybe good intentions, and then I get distracted, and I, I ramble on with requests, and then I kind of backtrack because like, well, sorry, God, I don't know if I was supposed to pray for that. That might have been sinful. And I get to the end, and maybe you feel like this too, and you're like, man, what a waste of a prayer. I don't even know what I prayed for. God probably has no clue what I was asking for. And that's the beautiful thing that we learn in this text. If you look back with me, it says that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what to pray for, but the Spirit calls out on our behalf. It's the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of us, that groans just like creation, groans just like us as individuals, and connects us with God the Father. The prayers that don't make any sense, that are confused, the Spirit takes those and lays them at the feet of God. Now, Richard Sibbs, a a famous Puritan, put it this way. He says that, that God can pick sense out of a confused prayer. God can pick sense out of a confused prayer. And what a beautiful truth that is to us as Christians, that we would call out to God and he would know our hearts and he would understand what it is that we're asking for. And Paul continues on with more good news in this passage as he, he goes on in verse 28. He says that God works all things together for the good of those who love him. Not necessarily that all things are good in life, but that all the circumstances that we encounter, the good, the bad, and the ugly of life, that God can take and use those things for good. God can use those things for good. And and Paul tells us what the purpose of these things are in verse 29. He says that we are being formed into the image of Jesus. We're being formed into the image of the Son of God. Now think about how this changes the way we view prayer and changes the way we view suffering in our life. Prayer is no longer about us getting God to do what we want him to do. And suffering is not an obstacle keeping us from God. But rather, God is using both of these things to form us into the image of Jesus. He's using these things to change who we are. And it's through those things that we begin to taste the coming glory of God as he changes us from the inside out. Now, I want to illustrate this tension that we kind of live in. We've been talking about the the present suffering and the future glory, and there's this, this tension that exists between those things. I want us to to understand what Paul is really talking about here. So I want you to think about a time you've been to a dance, whether it be a a wedding, at a club, prom, whatever it may be. And think about a a good DJ. A good DJ does, does well to mix two songs together. That as he transitions from one song to the next, he he fades one out and kind of brings the other one in slowly. And so you end up where you have about 10 or 15 seconds where both of the songs are playing at the same time. Two songs playing at once. And this is the present reality that we experience, that there's two songs playing at once. It's this idea that that, that theologians call the already, something that's already here, but but not yet fully here. The already, but not yet. The already is what Paul gets to at the end of this chapter. He, He talks about justification. City light, Jesus has come. That is a present reality that he has come and died for our sins, that he made the payment that we couldn't so we could be reconciled back to God. We would be made right before God. This is the the already, the beautiful truth, the good news 
for those who believe in Jesus. And, and the not yet that Paul is getting to is this glorification there right at the end of verse 30. This glorification that is not yet fully here. We're, we're still waiting to be glorified with Christ. We're waiting for this time when, when the sound will be turned all the way up on this new song. Like when you're driving in your car and your favorite song comes on, you turn it all the way up and the speakers are just blasting and you can feel like the sound is just everywhere around you. This is what it will be like when we are with Jesus. His presence will be everywhere. This is the hope of future glory. This is the hope of the coming glory of God, that we will be with Jesus. 1 John chapter 3, that says, when we see him, we will see him as he is, and we will be like him. Because we will no longer see Jesus through any interference. There will be no hindrance to seeing him. We'll see him in his full glory, in his truest self, and then we will be made like him. That we will be present with Jesus. That Jesus will be our all in all. That all things in heaven and on earth will be summed up in Christ. This is what we are looking forward to. For the whole world, this means that we will no longer see injustice. We will no longer see poverty. Because we will have no need for human government because Jesus will be our king. And he will rule with peace and justice over all creation. For us, that means we will be set free from the bondage of sin, all the shame, the insecurities, all those things that we feel will be set free because we will be made to be like Christ and he will be with us. City Light, we have a great hope in Jesus. I want us to be a church that is characterized by that hope. I want you as individuals to be people that place your hope in Jesus, not in the things that you can do or accomplish, but in the things that Jesus has accomplished and the things that he will do. And let us also be a people that proclaim that hope, that we have a great hope that we would share that with others. City Light, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the good, good gift that we have in Jesus and the great hope that you have given us and Father, we pray that we would see more of it, that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we pray that as we come to you with our requests, with our needs, that you would hear us and change us to be like your son. We thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.